Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 379 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. So glad you tuned in. Lisa Turkist is back on the podcast and going to talk about kind of a an issue that's got, I think a lot of us probably owns more real estate than you imagine. We're going to talk about how to forgive what you can't forget. And I think this is a huge issue for leaders when you think about all the hurts, all of the disappointment, all of the betrayals, all of the things you were counting on that never happened. Yeah. That's what we're going to get into today. Lisa's got a brand new book on that. This episode is brought to you by ProMedia Fire. You can get an amazing website and custom graphics every single week with ProMedia Fire's new digital growth bundle. Just go to promediafire.com forward slash digital growth. And it's brought to you by Red Letter Challenge. You can learn more about Red Letter Challenge's latest turnkey church series called The Being Challenge by going to redletterchallenge.com forward slash carry, where you'll find discounts of up to 40%. Also, for those of you who have been, um, well, even if you're like a new listener, but I know a lot of you, you discover the podcast, you go back into the archive, which is now 379 episodes long. I would love to know what your favorite episodes are. Because if you haven't yet uh, or lately checked out this podcast homepage, which you can find at kerryneuhoff.com forward slash podcast. Um, we got some brand new features there. It makes it much easier to navigate some of the recent uh, episodes. We have our top episodes, recent episodes, and then we want to do this new section called Fan Favorites. So uh, we would love to know what your favorites are. So hit me up on social media. I'm C. Newhoff on Twitter and Facebook, Carrie Newhoff on Instagram. And of course, all the links to that are on the website. Uh, so just let me know what your favorite episode is, and then we'll be including some listener favorites as we move along. So Lisa Turkhurst is the president of Proverbs 31 Ministries, also the author of three New York Times bestselling titles. And between her personal social media accounts and those of Proverbs 31 Ministries, Lisa reaches more than 7.5 million followers. So uh, I am so excited to have her on the podcast. She has been featured uh, numerous times on Fox News, CNN Online, Focus on the Family, Today Show, and so many others. And she writes from her gray farm table and lives with her family in North Carolina. And having uh, been to her place to take some of her training before, I can tell you she is a top-level thinker and leader as well. So I think you're going to love today's episode. Hey, have you ever landed on a website left in a few seconds? Yep, we all have. Well, this happens at your church all the time. People visit your website, it's your front door, and guess what? They're headed out in just a few seconds. So why does this happen? It's the same reason you left a website in a few seconds. You decided it wasn't for you. Well, what if you could change that? The Digital Growth Bundle from ProMedia Fire helps solve this problem through the following process. Number one, you determine your core audience. Number two, create a custom website that actually engages them. And then number three, Design content on a continual basis for your website and social media for that audience. So the digital growth bundle includes a custom website, weekly updates, and weekly graphic design. So the launch price for the digital growth bundle is amazing and it's going up soon. So lock in the special price today at promediafire.com forward slash digital growth. That's promediafire.com forward slash digital growth. 
So as you are thinking about what's ahead in the future for your church, you're probably thinking, how do I get more unity? We are coming out of such a divided and really in the midst of a very divided time. And believe it or not, Red Letter Challenge can help with you. They have a brand new challenge coming out uh, that just got released actually called the Being Challenge. And it is all focused on the words of Jesus and how to be in him. And I sat down with Red Letter Challenge founder, Zach Zender, and I asked him this question. I just said, you know, so uh, there's so much going on in the world, as we all know. Some people might think you have to address felt needs. How can I possibly do something like the Red Letter Challenge right now? So why is the Being Challenge a good option right now when the world is upside down? Here's what he had to say. I think there's nobody greater that addresses felt needs than Jesus. And in a world filled with, I'd say, good answers, Jesus is still the best answer. And really, if our lives stem from the overflow of our heart spiritually, if we can get our relationship with God right, right, think of how much better, if if we're coming from that place, this world could be. And so the simple thing I say is the best way to follow Jesus is to follow Jesus. He's the one that is the greatest disciple maker out there. And so while it's cool to have other tools and programs and address felt needs, nobody is going to do that better than Jesus. And so let's dive back into what he said, how he lived and, and learn from him. So if you're ready for a complete turnkey challenge that works whether you're meeting in person, digitally, or in a hybrid way, head on over to redletterchallenge.com forward slash carry and find a way to unite your church around the teachings of Jesus. You will find discounts there of 10 to 40% off. Well, I am so excited to have this conversation today. Honestly, every once in a while you have a a conversation, you think, no, I think I've got this issue. And then you realize, oh, you know what? I still got some forgiveness issues. So Uh, I'm going to talk about at the end of this episode, a little bit about forgiveness and leadership as well. But in the meantime, uh, let's sit down and have a conversation with Lisa Turkhurst. Lisa, welcome back to the podcast. It's a thrill to have you. Well, thank you, Carrie. It's always an honor to be with you. Yeah. So 2020 has been a year of trauma for almost everybody. And uh, you got kind of your own trauma. And then we have all the collective trauma Uh, But your last couple of books, you got a brand new one out called uh, Forgiving What You Can't Forget, which I think is an incredible title. Uh, But unfortunately, it comes out of a lot of pain. You've you've been through so much over the last, what, three years, four years? For leaders who may not be familiar, can you give them a little bit of a recap of what the last few years have been like for you? Because the interview will make so much more sense when they understand where it's coming from. Yeah, thank you for asking, Carrie. So back in 2016, um, it was going to be a big year for my family. Three of my five kids were getting married. And in the early part of 2016, I found out my husband was being unfaithful. And it was very shocking, um, shattering, and disillusioning for me because we had, you know, we were always aware that marriage trauma can happen, but we had done all the things that you think you should do in order to protect your marriage and to keep it in a good place. But I think, you know, the busyness of raising five kids and him running a business and me running a ministry, um, the one thing we did not make time to do was ongoing counseling. I think we reached a place where we just thought, hey, we're good. We really got to spend a season just focusing on the kids. And so we didn't slip into full like coasting autopilot mode, but we were not getting intentional 
counseling with the two of us. And so I'm not saying that that's what caused this by any means, but I just know that as I've really taken a hard look at what did we not do, you know, that's something that um, I, I want us to do the rest of our lives now. But also what complicated the situation was that there were some addictions involved. And so when I discovered what was happening in the midst of all of the trauma and emotion and heartbreak, um, I thought immediately, you know, surely God will weave together a restoration and make this a redemption story. And I didn't want this to be happening, but once I was facing reality, it is happening. Then I wanted God to use it for good, but my story was not a neat, tidy, straight line to the good that I assumed God would do. And so things got very complicated and I got very tired. And after 18 months of holding it private, it was very apparent that the story was going to come out. Unfortunately, I'm a public figure. And so I had to make the decision if it was going to come out through the rumor mill or if I needed to get ahead of it and just tell the truth. So that's what I did. And um, right before I did that, things imploded again. We had about five rounds of back and forth where I thought we were about to cross the finish line and, you know, renew our vows and reconcile. And then things blew up again and, you know, other hard things happened, more discoveries were made. And so it was a very long journey, a very devastating journey. And, um, you know, so when I talk about hurt, I don't talk about it in a like neat, tidy Christian packaged up way. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to make this appear easier than what it ever was. It was hard. It was very, very raw. And um, so, yeah, so for those listening, you know, sometimes when you say we're going to do a podcast on forgiveness, immediately people are crossing their arms, rolling their eyes. And I get it because that word means that you're bringing up the deepest pain um, that people have experienced often in their whole lives. So I'm not going to be the the person giving advice, wagging a finger, trying to make this sound easier than it is. I'm coming at this with my own huge set of resistant statements that seemed like for a long time justified me being able to not forgive. Hmm. Well, and I think to compound things, and and I think you made that very clear in your last book, but also in this book that, you know, this wasn't like, oh, discovered, went to a couple counseling sessions, all patched up, everything's fine. It was up and down and around the corner and it almost fell apart multiple times. And I'm sure in some respects, it's still hard. Uh, Last time you were on the program, I remember you were setting up at your house for uh, the renewal of vows, which finally happened, I guess. Was that the end of 2018? Was that when that happened? Yes, it was. Yeah. I remember. um, It was a day that I'll never forget because I just remember thinking, this has been the longest journey of Mm. hurt and heartbreak. And I did not think it would end in reconciliation. And a lot of stories don't, you know? Um, I mean, my mom went through the same thing and my dad never came home and Carrie, I don't, I can't explain why sometimes God 
rescues people out of relationships and then sometimes provides a way for relationships to be restored. But here's what I do know, no matter what happens in the relationships where you've gotten wounded, whether there's a reconciliation or not, a redemption story is still yours for the choosing because Mm. redemption is between you and God and no one else's choices can mess that up for you. Yeah. And I really want to go there because I think a lot of leaders have forgiveness issues and I probably do. You don't even realize it, but reading a book like yours, I'm like, oh yeah, there's some layers there. Uh, And you know, you think about it every time someone leaves your church, every time somebody sends you that angry letter, every time a board member quits or you lose your job or um, someone you were counting on betrays you. Now, in addition to the marriage challenges you had, uh, just real quick, you had a couple of life-threatening health issues happen and you had the betrayal. I remember you saying, and you hint at it in this book too, uh, the betrayal of a really, really close friend that was just devastating. So yes. it was trauma upon trauma upon trauma. Yeah. So when a marriage implodes, there's never just two people that are affected. It's the shrapnel from that devastation goes out and hits people in different ways. And, you know, you never know what it's going to attach to in their own personal life, maybe some unhealed trauma in their life or Mm. some fear that they have in their life. So people react in so many different ways. And, you know, we were not just the only two casualties in this. So it wasn't just my marriage falling apart, but it was, um, it was a lot, it was a lot falling apart. Plus I had the added, you know, dynamic of public opinion weighing into my very private pain. Well, you need Proverbs 31, right? Like, like, I mean, you almost couldn't, if, if, you know, there is an enemy and he was going to wind up and take a shot. It's, it's a pretty key target. I'll, I'll just say that. I'm sure that thoughts crossed your mind before, but yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I mean, I went through this season where I was just thinking, my life is over, you know, my, this legacy that I built with my husband. I mean, we were so intentional when our kids were growing up. And I remember saying, whenever they would hear about one of their friends, parents separating or getting a divorce, you know, um, I remember telling my kids, you know, you won't have to worry about that with me and dad, your dad and I are both very committed. And so we'll go through a lot as a family, but we're not going to go through that. And then I just thought, how in the world could this be happening? Like, how in the world could this be happening? And it was so hard. And Carrie, you know, I'm really honest. I still cry over what happened. You know, I say that in the book. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's, there's not a day that goes by that, I'm okay with this. You know, it's like if you had a sign up sheet and it's like, sign up for the trauma that you would go through in your life. I would not sign up for this. I just want to make that really clear because, you know, I, I wish that I didn't have this story to tell Mm. and yet I do. And so what do I do about it? Because it's not just something that's affected me and my family. I mean, there are so many people carrying around hurt and devastation. And we live in a world today that is so epically offended over everything. Yeah, so it's like true. Fist slamming fist and hearts hating hearts and division lines and, you know, just, uh, it's just maddening. 
And when I think about it, it's like, really, it's, it's not so much that we have different political views and different thoughts on how the problems of the world can be solved. It's really that we all have a lot of unresolved hurt in our heart. Yep. Yeah. Because otherwise we could have productive conversations where we agree to disagree, but that's not what's happening right now. There is a epic amount, an epic amount of offended people. And so I, my prayer is that we cut past the layers of all that people are saying and talking about and, you know, walking around so hurt over and we really get to people's pain. And that's where I start in this book. Yeah, you really go there. I mean, by the time you're on page three, so you don't have to read very far and you've already raised bitterness, resentment and trust issues. And I'm reading that going, okay, you've just read the mail of every leader who's ever led for more than 10 minutes. I mean, if you've tried this, and, and again, you know, you, I, I think you're so right. We live in this, and this really concerns me, like the cultural climate we're in right now that is so divided, so hateful. I'm so apprehensive heading into the election, which by the time we're filming this is not, you know, on yet. And yet, you know, I've been married for 30 years. We haven't had your story, but my goodness, we have forgiveness issues in our marriage. You know, Tony has a hard time forgiving me. I have a hard time forgiving her sometimes. Like we've got this. So you got bitterness, uh, resentment, and trust issues. Can you explain why those factors just keep coming up? Because I'm convinced that there are so many leaders listening to this who are like, I don't know why I'm so angry. I don't know why I'm so frustrated. I don't know why I get so irritated with the staff or with my church or with my family when I get home. But I wonder if that's underneath that. Yeah. So Carrie, have you ever had one of these situations where... It's like, okay, you woke up and then like you woke up on a day and you're like feeling fantastic. The birds are singing, the sun is shining, and you're excited about your day. And then all of a sudden, wham, some kind of unexpected criticism comes your way, or some kind of unexpected betrayal comes your way, or somebody quits, or somebody, you know, says something to you or about you. Um, on social media. And it is just maddening. It's like it can mm -hmm. hijack your emotions. And suddenly- Yeah, it is hijacking from, sometimes. It totally. Is, right? And suddenly you go from just feeling awesome to feeling so angry and so annoyed. And you just think, how can, how can, how could I have gone from up here to way down here so fast? Yeah. And maybe you even find yourself getting a bit wrapped up in the anger and maybe you even feel a bit hysterical, not as in it's funny, but as in like, I feel like I'm losing it all of a sudden. Has mm -hmm. that ever happened to you? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, used to a lot more, but even now I, I'm, my mind goes back to a podcast interview we posted a few months ago in the early days of the pandemic. And like, we just got pilloried for it. And I just remember saying, well, I want to tell that guy or here's what I want to write. And I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. But like it was an internal battle. Yeah, totally triggered. So when that happens, I say, and my counselors really taught me this, when, when we find ourselves getting hysterical, it's historical. I underlined that. I'm like, I've never heard that. And it's when you're hysterical, it's historical. What do you mean yes. by that? It's so good. So what I mean by that is, Usually it's not just the pain of the present. 
usually it's traveling somewhere inside our brain where our trauma experiences are stored, which is in the amygdala of the brain. So it's like we can travel and locate those memories of unhealed, unresolved hurt that this present offense is tapping into that unresolved hurt from our past and the two get combined together and it's just an explosion because it's not just the story that we're living, it's the story we're telling ourselves. And all those places of unresolved hurt, they form scripts in our mind of, of our judgments of the world. Like, well, you know, people are just so rude or nobody ever does what they say they're going to do. Or, you know, I bet that guy is just jealous or, you know, whatever it is, like we form all these scripts in our head and it just ratchets up our emotions. So that's why the Bible makes it so clear that we've got to get to a place where we are dealing with the unhealed hurt in our heart Carrie, when hurt sits unattended in the human heart too long, it turns into all kinds of versions of hate. That's where we get bitterness and simmering resentments and grudges and frustrations. And all of it ratchets up our emotions so quickly when the present person taps into that unhealed pain of our past and it, it gets combined and we have an out-of-proportion reaction to the offense at hand. That is, uh, I mean... We could just finish right here. Like, there you go. Price of admission (laughs) paid back many times over. That is such a good thing to figure out. And you've been, you mentioned it numerous times throughout the book. And it's a great book. I would strongly recommend. That's going to be my go-to forgiveness book when people ask, you know, because you get those questions. It's like, well, what's a good book on forgiveness? Well, I've I've got, Lewis Meads wrote a really good one a number of years ago, but uh, this one is quickly my go-to. So, um, you've been going to see a counselor for a long time. So you've been unpacking this, but it's kind of like layers, right? It's not like you have five counseling appointments. It's like, oh, all my past is like completely resolved. Is this an ongoing process for leaders? Because guys don't do that as well. I'm just going to make some gender. Like I do not do that particularly well. It's like I go for a tune-up, then I'm fine. And then I don't know why I'm mad anymore. Well, thank you for saying what you said about the book, Carrie. That's so sweet. And um just a, I really, I don't take it lightly. So thank you for that. Um, with, with saying that you'll make this the go-to book for forgiveness. That's oh, a blessing to my heart. It's so good. So in the middle of the book, I, um, I have these three chapters that really help people do this because I know some people either you are too nervous to go to counseling or you've tried it before and it wasn't a good fit mm. or you're too busy or you feel like as a leader, you know, it's like, ah, I don't know. They might recognize me. They might know me, you know? So there's a lot of even resistance to going to see counselors. I'm a big fan of going to see a counselor. So, but my hope is that maybe this book for those who aren't seeing a counselor will be a good first step. And then maybe once they take the step and go through some of the exercises in the book, then it'll show them like, oh, wow, maybe I need to continue this journey and go to see a counselor. But in the middle of the book, I have three strategic chapters that really can help you deal with some of the unresolved hurts from your past. One that is called collecting the dots. The next one is connecting the dots. And then the third one is correcting the dots. 
Because like I said before, we all have a story that that we're living and then we have the story that we tell ourselves and we've got to make sure the story we tell ourselves lines up with not only the truth, but the most healed version of who we are. Have you ever heard someone say, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to be true to myself. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you know, I really get that. But we have to make sure that we're being true to the most healed, healthy, whole and holy version of ourself. Because if I'm true to my most unhealed self, it can really take me to some bad places. Yep. No, and and that's so good. I mean, I was reading through that thinking, well, first of all, brilliant, <laughs> collecting, connecting, and correcting the dots. But like, that's a whole series right there. That could be a book in and of itself. It was just so helpful. And collecting is about your past. Connecting is like, how do all these things shape who I am? And correcting is like, how do I bring that out in light of God's truth? It was a very helpful filter. Um so there's a lot of advice circulating on forgiveness out there. What's some of the worst like churchy advice or just cultural advice on forgiveness that you've heard? Well, the title points to one of them. So I did a bunch of focus groups and one of the number one things people would say is, well, you know, the Bible says forgive and forget. And if I can't forget, then I can't forgive. And it's like, okay, well, actually um, the Bible doesn't say that. And, you know, I, I had to do about a thousand hours of theological study for this message, Carrie, because I had so many misunderstandings about forgiveness. And wow. I really wanted to know what does the Bible actually say and what does it not say about forgiveness? The Bible does say that God forgives us of our sins and casts them to the depths of the sea and remembers them no more. But the Bible never says people have to forget in order to forgive. Forgive and forget is not a biblical principle. And as a matter of fact, the Bible kind of teaches the opposite is, you know, when when we remember what's happened to us, use it as a testimony. And Revelation teaches us that the enemy is defeated by the, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So to me, that says, don't forget, just make sure that when you're telling your story, instead of recounting all the proof of how people have hurt you, you know you're telling a healed testimony when you've traded your proof for perspective and Mm. you're much less focused. You're not focused on what happened. You're much more focused on the wisdom and the life lessons and the perspective that you gained from it that can help other people. Hmm. Um, I know we've got to watch time today. So there's so much in there. And in the book, you talk about um, abuse you suffered as a child. Really, really sad story. Uh, some sexual abuse and other abuse that that you suffered as a child. That was part of the the collecting the dots, right? Just trying to figure out why am I this way? Why do I react the way I react? Why do I feel the way I feel? That's an unexplored journey for a lot of people, isn't it? To sort of look back. And I know for me, you know, everybody's story is different, but there were moments at school, there were moments at home where I'm like, oh, that shaped who I was. Yeah, you know, and sometimes it's the really traumatic things like abuse or sexual abuse. And then other times it's like a moment in time that almost gets burned into our brain that shifts the way we see ourselves and shifts the way we see the world and shifts the way we think about other people. And, you know, those little perspective shifts can affect us so much that it 
it, at first it starts as like an incident and then it becomes a perspective and then it becomes a belief. And then it becomes not only a belief about ourselves, others, and God, but it becomes like this, this whole way of operating that we carry with ourselves. Like it becomes our processing system. What was one of those for you? One of those like little beliefs that just shaped you. So, okay, this is a great story. And I actually didn't get to write about this in the book. So you're going to get some scoop. Nobody else is getting. Here comes the scoop, guys. Here comes the scoop. So I did this activity with my counselor. It's called the trauma egg. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but it's where you get a big piece of white poster board and you divide the, the, you draw an egg on it. Okay. okay? Like a big egg shaped circle. And then you divide that up into little compartments and every compartment, you draw a stick figure picture of a time that you remember from your earliest memory in childhood all the way to present day. Hmm. And it's any time that you've been abused physically, emotionally, or sexually, or you've been hurt, betrayed, abandoned, or you know, rejected in some way. And so you draw all those memories with little stick figure pictures in these little compartments. So your egg is made up of, you know, 20, 30, 40 compartments. Yeah. Then after you finish and it's earliest memory all the way to present day memory, whatever you think about when you think about being hurt, traumatized, whatever. Then I stood in front of my counselor and he just said, tell me the story. And what he was listening for is the shame filled script that was a belief system that ran like a filter across my brain that any time something happened to me, everything was tainted by this shame script. So what Mm. was my shame script? And as I told every little story, my counselor picked up on a phrase that I would say often, and he identified that as my shame script. And mine was that I truly am afraid and at times really believe that I cannot inconvenience other people. Otherwise, they will see me as unnecessary or they'll see me as a pain in their butt. And and so I have this fear of being an inconvenience to someone. Now, here's what's interesting, Carrie. My husband, Art, did this same activity and his shame script was, I'm not good enough. So where this dysfunctional dance started to happen in our relationship is Art loves to do things for me. So he would often say, hey, you know, can I uh, can I do this for you or can I do that for you? And I, because I didn't want to be inconvenienced, started telling him, oh, no, I'll do it myself, which said to him, he thought I was saying you're not good enough to do that for me. That's not what I was saying. So we were in counseling one day and Art pushed back and he's like, I'm just so tired of you telling me I'm not good enough. And as God is my witness, I've never said that to him. And what our counselor helped us see is that my shame script of being afraid of being an inconvenience and his shame script of not feeling like he's good enough, those two worlds collided and it created so much damage in our relationship just because of this little belief that we carried all the way from childhood, both of us. And so now when we fix that, Carrie, now I am all the time recognizing what a gift it is 
for me to ask Art to do something, or when he offers for me to say, yes, I would love for you to do that. And if he ever gets that look in his eye where I can tell something has just pained him, I'll stop him and I'll say, are you hearing in the back of your mind that you're not good enough? Because that's not true. Remember, that's your shame Mm. script speaking. And then he'll say to me, Lisa, are you hearing in the back of your mind that you're an inconvenience? Because that's not true. You are loved. And do you see how just fixing that wrong belief, that story that we were telling ourselves can transform our relationships? That's so powerful. You know, I haven't really unpacked this yet with Tony, who you know, because we've spent some time together, my wife. But it occurred to me the other day, we just had, you know, it wasn't a big meltdown or anything. But um, we've realized, like with the love languages, uh, acts of service is one of the things I really appreciate. And I will do something for Tony, but it doesn't have the same impact on her that it would for me. And hers is quality time. So it's interesting. And that's low on my list. I'm like, just do something, okay? So uh, what's really interesting, it occurred to me that her bidding for quality time, I will often say, oh, yeah, but we better clean the kitchen first or let me cut the lawn first. And I'm saying, I don't value you. And then she's when she's like, no, let's just sit down and relax. I'm like, no, you don't value me because if you really did, you would you would tidy up the kitchen or you would, you know, get this get this taken care of. And, and I just realized, of course, you know. The enemy is going to play out a perfect script of, of that kind of thing. And I think surfacing those issues can be really helpful. Not the same as yours. The shame script is fascinating. I have no idea what my shame script is, but I know there probably is one. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's You're so welcome. helpful. Does that resonate? You know, the acts of service versus quality time. It's just. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, I think I think because we are all the time bringing this kind of unspoken contract into every relationship Mm -hmm. that we have, it can be very easy to start to have expectations of one another. And yet we don't really communicate those expectations. But what my counselor has helped me understand is expectations are really premeditated resentments. In other words, if I expect that our contract is going to go this way, you're going to give me lots of quality time and you're expecting the contract to be okay, acts of service are what's most important. Mm -hmm. You see how those two things bump into one another. And so what I teach in the book, and, and this is one of my favorite parts of the whole book, is that if we go all the way back to Adam and Eve, and we look at the fact that Adam was created from something that seemed so insignificant, from the dust of the earth, And Eve was created by something that really we would think needs to be buried and forgotten, broken off bone, right? But we're not just dust and we're not just broken off bone. We are breath of God and touch and design of God. And so if I can remember to look at my husband with all his faults and all his, you know, uniqueness and, and, all his amazing qualities and some aggravating qualities too. But if I can look at him and I can say, Hey, Art, I just want you to know that I recognize you're not just a sum total of human qualities. You're not just dust. You are breath of God, Mm. intentionally created by God. 
to represent the goodness and the glory of God and to spread that throughout all of the world. And so, yes, babe, you've had a bad day. And yes, you shouldn't have said that to me. Or yeah, that probably wasn't the best decision to make. But I want you to know, I see beyond all of that. And I know you're more than a sum total of your actions and reactions. And then for him to say back to me, and Lisa, you are not just broken off bone. You are touch and design intentionally made by God Almighty to be who you are. And it's great. So can you imagine just yeah. changing even the scripts inside of our marriage this way? Um, what we can have the opportunity to do. So see, my book isn't just about forgiveness. It's really about using this incredible gift that God has given us, forgiveness, to sweep our heart clean so we can start to see something so much bigger and so much more mm. beautiful than people's faults and inadequacies and offenses and grudges and simmering resentments. Like, we, it, like yes, we've got to deal with all of that, but it's so that we can start to see and experience beautiful again, beautiful in our lives, beautiful in our relationships. And that's what I'm really going after here. Now it comes through loud and clear. And, you know, one of the misconceptions I held on to for years around forgiveness is this idea that forgiveness really happens if, you know, I offend you, I finally come back to you, say, I'm sorry, we're, we're restored. Is it possible? Because this happens all the time in leadership where people who hurt you, people who betray you, people who wound you, offend you. And sometimes you take offense, but sometimes, no, there's a real thing there. They never ask for forgiveness. Is it possible to forgive somebody who doesn't want forgiveness or doesn't seek it? Such a good question. So yeah, when I was a little girl, the way I thought that forgiveness worked, the way I was taught that forgiveness worked is that like usually it would be between me and my sister and right. we'd get into a little argument and then I would like push my sister and she would cry. And then my mom, the great judge would appear and she would say, you are wrong and you were right. And you need to say you're sorry. and You need to say you forgive. And then the two of you need to hug and make up. And if you don't stop acting foolish, I'm really going to give you something to cry about. Yep. And so I carry that very little girl understanding of forgiveness into some very adult situations. And I never allowed my vision for forgiveness, my understanding of forgiveness to grow up and mature into where it really needs to be. Hmm. And a mature version of forgiveness and an understanding of forgiveness is when we finally realize we can't wait for someone else to make a choice to make any of this right. If, if we are waiting for someone else to say they're sorry, own what they did, suffer the way we've suffered, make it right, admit what they did was epically wrong. Like if we are waiting for that to happen, then what we're saying is I can't heal until they make a different choice. Mm -hmm. And so a mature version of forgiveness is when we decide that we ourselves have suffered enough because of what other people have done to us. So we're going to unhitch our, our ability to heal from their choices. And we're going to say, I get to make the decision to sever the source of suffering in my life. And I am making this decision to forgive so that I can heal. 
And I have carried the weight of the suffering and unforgiveness way too long. And that, Carrie, is when we really can understand that we don't have to have that epic moment with that other person. We can choose to forgive because forgiveness is the way we keep our hearts swept clean. See, that's so liberating. And I like the phrasing of it, mature. Because I mean, in the most extreme case, somebody that maybe you you still haven't forgiven is dead. Like they're never going to come back, right? Like they died a few years ago or they're not a safe person. Like we'll talk about boundaries hopefully before we're done, but you know, you shouldn't approach them. Or uh, they're not repentant or they're unaware or they've lost their mental capacity to really have a conversation with you about it, you know? And or they so, don't care, you know? Or they don't care, right? <laughs> you yeah. know, let's just be really honest. They're just indifferent. It's like, ah, whatever. So you would say in those situations, and I think this is like a lot of leadership, a lot of life. It's like, no, forgiveness is something you should embrace uh, so that the past doesn't own you or the hurt doesn't own you. That's right. And, you know, Carrie, I, I always encourage people too who have been deeply hurt by another person. You don't have to start with forgiveness. That's a really hard place to start. So instead, let's start with your pain. Hmm. Let's, let's just acknowledge the pain that you've been through. Because if we skip this step, you can feel like forgiveness is saying your pain doesn't matter or what happened really didn't affect you. Right. And it very much affected you and it very much matters. And I guess I want to say to any listener right now who's crossing their arms and just saying, you don't know how bad I was hurt. I have to say, you're right. I I don't know your story. I wish I did. I wish we were sitting across the table having coffee with one another right now. But I do want to say to you, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry for what happened to you. I really am. You know, and I want to say, I believe you. Like your pain is real and it's deep and it's hard and you shouldn't have been hurt the way you were hurt. And if no one else in this world has ever dared to bear witness to your pain, I will. And I'm sorry for what they did. I'm sorry for what they didn't do. And I'm sorry that you're living with this. But friend, you really do deserve to stop suffering because of what another person has done to you. So start there, start with your pain and write it down. Like I took three by five cards and I wrote down all the different ways that I've been hurt. And that is how we can get that out. And then I just went by card, by card, by card, by card. And I just said, I forgive you for this pain that happened, for this fact of what happened. And then I added this little statement and whatever my feelings will not yet allow for the blood of Jesus will surely cover it. Wow. Yeah. And the reason I added that is because hurt feelings don't often want to cooperate with holy instruction. Hmm. And so I had a wrong view of forgiveness. I thought forgiveness was me like bossing my feelings around or overriding my feelings or just trying to conjure up enough spiritual maturity to grit my teeth and in my own determination, just eke out, I forgive you, right? But forgiveness is not based on my determination. Forgiveness is based on my cooperation with Mm. what God has already done through the blood of Jesus. And as God's forgiveness flows to me, it can then 
flow through me. And I just cooperate with the flow of forgiveness that's coming from God. And that's what I then give to other people. And it's a beautiful process. It's not easy, but it is possible. That's so helpful, Lisa. Um, In the book, and I'm so glad you went there, you talk about, I think this is a quote, forgiveness is more satisfying than revenge. Um, Maybe it's my personality type. I sometimes think about revenge, like usually with my words, well, I'll go in there and I'll set this straight and somebody's going to pay. And, you know, over time I've kind of learned, well, that almost never goes the way you think it's going to go. And even if it does, it's not very satisfying. How, How is forgiveness more satisfying than revenge? Well, such a, you know, when I wrote that, I had to sit with it for a little while and Uh I had to really challenge myself. Like, is it? (laughs) Because I don't know. Sometimes revenge feels like it'd be pretty satisfying. Yeah, it feels pretty satisfying. Yeah, let's be honest. And like, I have the curse of comeback. So it feels like it might feel really good to just say that thing, to cut that other person down to the quick and prove how wrong they are and write the scales of justice, right? Mm, But at some point, I started saying this to my kids and then God started saying it to me. Has that ever happened to you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Sometimes my kids or wife have quoted back to me something <laughs> I said. It's like, stop quoting that guy. It's terrible. I know. But this is what I often will say to my kids. Like you got to trade all that for an upgrade. You got to trade all that drama for an upgrade in your life. Like, do you really want to jump into the cesspool? Because that revenge, it'll feel good for about two seconds. But what revenge really is, is it's you signing up to get hit and hurt twice by that person's offense. Like Mm. you've already been hurt by what they did to you. So don't hurt yourself by now participating in the in more emotional trauma of the action of revenge. It just continues a vicious cycle that will never end. you got to trade all that drama for an upgrade. And Carrie, let me ask you something. So. When you sin, now I'm not saying you have to confess, but let's say you do something wrong, you sin, you hurt somebody. Do you ever find that the consequences for that sin are sort of already built in? Like at some point, you're going to suffer for that sin that you create. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? A couple months ago, I sent an email I shouldn't have sent when I was really upset. I still am untangling the damage from that. Yep. Yeah. So we know that when we do something wrong, that we suffer the consequences for it. It's built into that wrongdoing. We forget when it comes to other people that the same is true for them. So I'm going to let that sit on you for just a second. You see, we know it for ourselves, but we assume because we see that other person smiling, they got laughing off on free. Instagram. They're not, they're, we think yeah. they got, we think they got off scot-free and they don't. Sin comes as a package deal of consequences. When that person sinned, they unleashed consequences. They probably didn't even realize they were unleashing. I think that's why the Bible says pray for your enemies, because they are going to suffer the consequences of their actions. It's built in. And you don't have to see how they're suffering to know that they are suffering. So what God says is revenge is mine. Like, like you take, like God says, I will avenge, not revenge, but I will avenge Mm. this situation. So you take that person and you place them in God's hand because God sees 
the consequences they've already unleashed in their lives. So only God can address this in equal measures of justice and mercy. Mm-hmm. And so we place them in God's hands and we say, I don't have to see it to know that God is addressing it. And I can trust this. This is the best form of justice, right? Is us deciding we're not going to take this on because to do so is going to cause more and more and more emotional hurt in our own lives. And there's just been enough hurt. So we decide, Mm. you know what? I am not willingly signing up for anything more. I've suffered enough from this. And Carrie, another thing that I often say to my kids is you don't have to attend every drama you're invited to. Wow. Your thousand hours of study really showing off. I mean, it's, this is, this is incredibly deep and really, really helpful and penetrating. Not only a reread, but also a re-listen. So this is good because I'm thinking about one person in particular. I'm pretty good at forgiving, I think. Uh, but there's one in particular and I'm like, yeah, I've suffered way more than he has in uh, all the drama I play out in my mind. Not in real life, but ah, mm. this is so good. Let's talk about boundaries before we wrap up because you've got a whole section on boundaries in the book. So this doesn't mean, and you're very good at pointing this out, that we're all just hugs, reconciliation, like forgiveness is very different than reconciliation. It's very different than restoration. And you may have to have some boundaries in place or you will have to with certain individuals. Can you just touch on that? Yeah. So first of all, I want to say, let's talk about what a boundary is and what it is not. So a boundary is not meant to shove the other person away. It's meant to hold us together. Like hold, it's hold, holding me together. And so I know how I want to act and react, but sometimes people trigger me or push my buttons to the point where I'm not able to hold it together. So my boundaries help hold me together, right? Oh, that's a, that's a fresh take. That's good. Yeah. And also a boundary is not meant to control or manipulate another person, but that is often what somebody who you try to draw a boundary with, they'll often say, you're trying to control me, you're trying to manipulate me, or you're being so unforgiving. So we have to make sure that we understand that's not what's happening here. It's often the people who resist having a boundary put into a relationship the most that, that truly need that boundary. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's, it's often the people that need boundaries the most that refuse to cooperate with them, you know? Mm. And so I think that's an important point too. So if you have somebody saying, Like if you put up a boundary and let's just give an example of what is a boundary. Okay. So a boundary to hold me together. One of the boundaries that I had to do with my kids is I had to say, I can have conversations with you all day long. Like I am happy to talk with you all day long, but at 9 PM, I am no longer willing to engage in conversation because this is not good theology, but it's absolutely true for me. The Holy Spirit leaves my body at 9 p.m. every night, okay? So enter in at your own risk. And I just know, in other words, I know that's not theological sound, but what I'm saying to them is like, 
I know I cannot bring my best self into a conversation past 9 p.m. So my boundary is, in order for me to hold myself together, my boundary is that um, I am happy to have conversations. I want to have conversations, but they need to start so that they can end by 9 p.m. Because after that, I'm no good. And I've made that decision for myself. I'm not trying to push you away. I'm not trying to control you or manipulate you. I'm telling you how I need to function and operate at my best. And that's what I need, right? Hmm. And so that's an example of a boundary. Another example of a boundary is maybe you have somebody in your life, every time you get on the phone, they want to bash other people. Yep. So you can establish a boundary. Like you don't have to be victim to their chaos, right? You can establish a boundary and just say, hey, Carrie, I really enjoy talking to you. But I have to say, I've established for myself, I'm no longer willing to participate in conversations that, you know, bash other people. And so if that is what you start doing on the phone call, I'm going to have to say, hey, Carrie, I think you need to reserve this conversation for someone else or better yet in your prayer time. But I can't participate in this because it's just something I've decided for myself I'm not willing to do. Then you have the right, Carrie, to decide if you're willing to continue in the conversation with me to respect my boundary or not. But if you don't, then I'm going to have to put another boundary up. You see what I'm saying? Man, that's so, and so healthy. Yeah. And, and I think people get very paralyzed in relationships thinking, I just have to go along with whatever the other person lays down. And I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. You are responsible for you. And so no one else is going to be able to take care of you as best as you are. So you've got to do some self-care, some soul care here of determining what is and is not acceptable to you, what is and is not permitted with you, what is and is not healthy for you. And you get to make that decision. And I know it's a lot easier to talk about than it is to actually live it out in everyday life. But once you start to understand it's actually a gift to the relationship. It's not a detriment to the relationship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think you'll start to feel a lot safer in your relationship. Well, and often that other person, if they're relatively healthy, picks up on those clues and goes, huh, maybe I should throw people under the bus a little bit less. And I've, I've seen that dynamic play out as well. Okay, I got to ask you this because you have a lot of content creators. So final question, we could this could be a three-hour episode. It's so good. But final question because we all have to do this and you have done it masterfully in your books, but the last two in particular, and this one, I feel even another layer uh, of rawness and vulnerability there. But um, how do you write about your pain in the middle of your pain? Good question, Carrie. You know, I think for me, I'm always trying to make sure that I've allowed enough healing to happen Mm. so that I'm not just putting my pain on paper for the sake of writing another book. And so I have to make sure that I'm not trying to prove how right I am in my book, but instead I'm trying to excavate the life lessons and the 
perspective shifts that I've made so that it really can help other people when they're in that pain. So I think it's a timing thing. We really do have to experience some healing before we can help other people heal. I think that's important. But I also think it's important for us to remember there's a big difference between secrecy and privacy. Secrecy is us hiding from other people things that are making us more and more unhealthy. Privacy is withholding some details for the purpose of healing. So if you notice in my book, I am very vulnerable about the big picture of what we walk through, but I share very few details. No, there's almost, if you're hunting for details on a gossip level, there's nothing there. And I think that's very appropriate. It, it respects your relationship and it respects you and your marriage. Yeah. And details I've found just satisfy people's curiosity, but they get so full of consuming the details that they have no room for then consuming the experiential wisdom, which is what will really help them transfer the life lessons from my life to their life. And I think that's the more important thing. So when I'm in pain and I'm writing, I try to make sure that I've healed enough, but I also try to make sure that I hold private details that aren't necessary. But what's more important is to unpack the emotional fallout that people can relate to and learn from and experience the depth of the emotion. So they trust that I've hurt just like they've hurt. So they know that this experiential wisdom could possibly work for them as well. Lisa, I want to thank you so much for your time today. And, and I just want to say I've learned so much from you. Uh, had the privilege of taking your Compel training. I think we talked about that before on an episode. It's so good for those of us who produce content. Uh, it's really challenging, particularly as a guy. I just find you're so good at vulnerability and it's so easy. I think last time you were on, we talked about the different voices. It's so easy for me to become the teacher. It's like, oh yeah, I used to struggle with, but now look, I got it all together. And you're just so good at keeping it honest um, and and writing out of the constant journey that is life. And you've done that with this book. We'll link to everything in the show notes. Um, if people want to learn more, where, where can they find more, Lisa? Yeah, so you can go to forgivingwhatyoucan'tforget.com. And that's the book website and they can, uh, you know, find all the information, the trailers, all that kind of stuff right mm -hmm. there on that website. And of course you can check, check me out on social media. Um, Instagram is one of my favorite places to communicate with people at Lisa Turkhurst. And my name's kind of complicated L Y S A T and hopefully you'll find me. Okay. That's awesome. Lisa, once again, thank you. We really, I really appreciate you. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, Carrie. Man, I just love how authentic, vulnerable, transparent Lisa is. And I've learned so much about being a better writer from her. You can find out whatever you want, including all the links that we talked about. Links to all those subjects over at the show notes, which you will discover at carrienewhoff.com slash episode 379. And uh, so happy to provide that for you. It also has transcripts and all that is for you uh, waiting there. And thousands of leaders check out the show notes. So make sure you check that out. We're also on YouTube these days. So if you prefer to watch rather than listen, 
Uh, you can find uh, my channel over on YouTube as well. So we got a fresh episode coming up next time, and I'm so excited to have Beth Moore on. So this is so, you know, this blows my mind. But every once in a while, you you meet a leader like Beth and you find out she's actually a listener, which I'm, I was so humbled and excited to hear about. And so, of course, we had to get her on. And um, Beth explains how she stayed engaged on social media, despite the controversies and the challenges she gets, how she handles her her critics. And we just, well, we went all over the place with it. Here's an excerpt. I could not live with thinking that a 25-year-old would have looked to me and watched me be easily run off and bullied. I couldn't, I have a responsibility to her. Yeah. And um, I would, there were some days, it's been a long time since I've been here, but there were some days that I think, oh my goodness, the last thing on earth I want to do is open up social media. Because I, I mean, it was just constant. It was constant, hundreds and hundreds. Oh, I was called everything you can imagine. But I would think, uh-uh, no, every day I thought I'm getting on. If all I've got to say is, man, that was a great breakfast taco. <laughs> get on there today if it is the last thing I do because there might be some young woman. I'm so excited to have Beth Moore join me next time. Uh, Leaders, if you subscribe, you get it all for free. Also coming up, Cancel Culture with uh, Scott Sauls and Sarah Anderson, William Vanderbloom and Mark Batterson, Andy Stanley, Patrick Lencioni, Rachel Cruz, Craig Grishel, Mark Clark, and so many more. So excited for this. Plus, we got some other stuff we're working on in the background, stuff I can't wait to tell you about on the podcast. Well, it's time for what I'm thinking about, and uh, I am thinking about apologizing and forgiveness in leadership. It's brought to you by ProMedia Fire. You can get an amazing website and custom graphics every week. They'll update it with ProMedia Fire's new digital growth bundle. Go to promediafire.com forward slash digital growth before the price goes up. And if you haven't yet checked out Red Letter Challenge, uh, whether that's their original challenge or the being challenge, go to redletterchallenge.com forward slash carry. It's a turnkey, complete 40-day campaign for your church done for you. You'll get discounts of 10 to 40% off at redletterchallenge.com forward slash carry. So here's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about how forgiveness works in leadership. And yes, I'll tell you one of the occupational hazards of leadership is you think everybody owes you an apology. But sometimes they do. Sometimes as a leader, you owe them an apology. And that's what I want to talk to you about. And I have found it was much easier to apologize early in the days of my ministry than it is now. In fact, the bigger things get, the more, quote, successful, whatever that means, you are, the harder it is to apologize. And uh, I just have to bring myself back to this again and again. And I really believe if you're the leader, you should be the first to apologize. And you'll have a thousand reasons that ring through your head as to why you shouldn't apologize or why it was somebody's fault or while you're the leader and you don't have to. And all that stuff is wrong. Okay, so how do you apologize well in leadership? I have to remind myself to do this regularly to my team, sometimes in public, to our church when, you know, I've done something. I think at its heart, an apology is ownership. It says, I'm responsible, okay? Uh, Whether you intended to hurt someone or mess up, kind of irrelevant. I mean, hopefully you didn't. But even if you didn't, you still need to apologize. So what should you do? Number one, I think go first. All right. 
Um, it's, it's easy for you because you're the leader just to sweep it under the rug, let it go, uh, hope it never gets brought up. But if, if you're the leader, and even if you're not the senior leader, just take the initiative and go first. Uh, you'll feel so much better. And believe it or not, that has a way of increasing people's trust in you. Okay, principle number two. Say it in person, but if you can't, don't delay. So ideally, if you made a mistake, go to the person that that you owe an apology to and you make it in person. Uh, if you can't and you're restricted because of geography or time, try to do it um, digitally, like do a Zoom call or FaceTime, apologize, shoot a video if it's more public than that. And if you still can't do that, uh, set up a phone call, but don't delay and try to do it as personally as possible. Um, I mean, to send an email, yeah, you can send an email, but but I think it's better if you can make it more personal, okay? Super important. Number three, be specific about what went wrong and what you did. So don't just say, hey, I'm sorry if I offended you. It's like, no, that's not an apology. Just go, you know what? I said this and I was wrong. I'm sorry. And I want to make sure it never happens again. And I apologize for hurting you. Or... Um, you know, let, let's say you did something and you're like, you know what? The action I took was really not the wise course and I made a mistake and I ask your forgiveness and I commit to making sure that this never happens again. That can be really, really huge. Uh, fourth principle, don't defend. Don't defend. You're going to be so tempted to say, well, you know what? Like, hey, I, you know, if you were under the same pressure I was or given the circumstances, nope. Don't defend yourself. Don't blame others. Just own it and apologize. And don't justify, okay? Maybe you have an explanation, but an explanation is not a justification. Yeah, maybe you were late because there was traffic. Well, you should have left 10 minutes earlier. Yeah, you know, maybe you didn't get there on time because, you know, FedEx didn't deliver. UPS didn't deliver. So what? Your job was to get it there on time, right? Or maybe you were just tired. It was like, oh, I was so tired. I didn't know what I was saying. Well, then you should have kept your mouth shut, okay? So don't justify it. Listen, this is hard. It's hard in marriage. It's hard in leadership. But if you've blown it and you're the leader, please apologize. Uh, An explanation is not a justification. Own your peace. What I find is that when I apologize using these guidelines, things go way better for the team and for the organization and coincidentally for me uh, because I've owned it. And so I grow, I learn, I move on. It's painful, but better pain now in the moment and health for the organization than just sweeping a whole bunch of stuff under the rug, hoping nobody ever notices and and really compromising your mission in the process. So that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, I know that's sort of the flip side of like, uh, that person needs to forgive me or I need to forgive them. But uh, yeah, if you're the leader, own it. And, And do you think about how many crises, like, you know, when you see people issuing their statements or their lawyer talks, you know how many would be avoided if someone just said, you know what, it was my fault. I apologize. I'm sorry. I was wrong. And I accept responsibility for the consequences. Yeah, I get rid of a lot of news. Anyway, that's what I'm thinking about. Hey, back next time with a fresh episode. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so. Thank you for all the ratings and reviews. We really appreciate you leaders. And I love doing this with you. I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.